from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. And we're back, everybody, and we're really back. (laughs) We're back in the studio. Yes. So, welcome everybody, episode 118. 118. Um, the regular crew is here tonight, minus Jack. Jack is speaking at a lodge somewhere, or what's the he lodge doing? Lodge 43, I believe. <laughs> beautiful downtown Lancaster. Yes. At the beautiful Masonic Center. <laughs> the at the beautiful Masonic Center. Yeah. And uh, so, tonight's going to be episode 118. We're going to have a special treat, a double special treat. Um, you're going to hear audio, your audio, obviously, because it's a podcast of Michelle Snyder. However, our Patreons will also be able to watch a video of our interview with Michelle Snyder, including a PowerPoint. So it's uh, very exciting. The chances of this actually happening are about 5%. I was going to say, I was going to say about 12, but yeah, that's, um, we got to the studio and, uh, <laughs> we realized Tim did not have a power cord for his Mac, <laughs> and nor did he have the dongle. Cause well, we're not Mac- sure where the dongle went. It was here in March of a year ago. So, but, yeah, uh, he has a, um, you know, Apple and all their wisdom. There's no Ethernet port on a, on a $1,700 iMac. <laughs> so uh, if you don't have a dongle to uh, USB-C, you're out of luck. and. Yeah. Well, we were out of luck. So we hope that video converts properly. But um, <clears throat> So let's go around the room real quick and see what everybody's been up to. Larry, let's start with you, because Tim and I did things together. We'll go last. Yeah. yeah uh, well, uh, lodge meeting, I did attend that. It was nice to be able to be there. Tall Cedars, Goose and Gridirons. I've been, been kind of active and uh, really enjoy being back. Josh, you had a lodge meeting last night, did you? Uh, yeah, last night we did uh, we did a few degrees. We did a third degree and two firsts, and uh, of course, last week, as Larry said, we had the stated meeting of Lamberton Lodge number four hundred seventy six, and I had a master's meeting on top of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, last night uh, Tim and I were in Philadelphia. And I got a text message from uh, Larry Hudson of Lamberton Lodge asking me if I would like to fill in a chair. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't because I'll be in Philly. And little did I know I'd fill in a chair anyway, but in Philadelphia. Exactly. So, Tim, tell everybody about our, uh, our little jaunt to Philly. So uh, we were invited to talk about the podcast with Mozart Lodge number 436, I believe is the number. Sounds right. Uh, But it was great to be able to share in fellowship with those guys and uh, to go into the beautiful Egyptian room at the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Um, And then um, we were rushed into action. 
Uh, Pete got to be the junior deacon, and I got to be the senior master of ceremonies. And for both of us, it had probably been 12 years since we've done that job. But uh, we quickly... Uh, so, yeah, in lieu of a uh, Masonic, um, the... Uh, shh. <laughs> well, the, our investigation was, do we know the parts to these two roles? <laughs> Thus proving we were Masons. Yes. So, anyway, we did a great job. The... Um, um, uh, the master was was very cordial, and we had dinner with him ahead of time, and it was just a great night of fun in downtown Philadelphia, which is pretty much still a ghost town. Uh, Pete and I were talking about while the rest of the world seems to be kind of coming back to life, uh, Philadelphia is still pretty uh, tied up. and Yeah, no uh, bar service at the restaurants. Right. And, uh, Masks were being worn by everybody outside, which... Um, was kind of a surprise to us, but uh, anyway, uh, it was it was a great night to be at the Grand Lodge. And um, I'd like to tell everybody, thank you, especially to our patrons. Yes, um, you know, as uh, Tim likes to say, how do you how do you give us money on Patreon? Pa- Patreon, because Ryan, the right Ryan, the worshipful master from last night, became a uh, supporter of ours today. Exactly. So thank you, Ryan. So our patrons on Patreon. Um, you can be a patron on Patreon by going to MasonicLightPodcast.com or is it MasonicLight.com? It's Masonic, it is Patreon.com. Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> there you go. Patreon. Slash MasonicLight. There we go. Good grief. It's been a long time. So um, Patreon.com slash MasonicLight. And if you donate, it'll go to buy us a dongle. A dongle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we need a dongle. But as little for as for as little as one dollar a month. $1. There it is. We're thinking of you, Jack. Uh, for as little as one dollar a month, you can uh, keep us on the air and buy us a dongle and any other equipment that we might need. Uh, we are greatly appreciative of our uh, patrons on Patreon, and um, tonight's uh, interview will be one of those special treats for those of you that are uh, supporters. You can give more than a dollar a month. Yes, absolutely. There are many levels that yes, you can contribute. So. And I don't know them off the top of my head. All right. All right. So we want to go through the rest of our uh, Masonic activities over the last... Uh, sure, go ahead, because I have to sit and try and remember. Okay, so I'll give you a few minutes <clears throat> then. So um, last Thursday, I was uh, pleased to work with a group of men with the Valley of Harrisburg in uh, scoring scholarship. Uh, applications for the Abbott scholarships in the Valley of Harrisburg. That was a lot of fun. It was great to see uh, some really quality applications for those. Uh, if you're um, if you're a high school senior or college uh, student, uh, reach out to your local Valley, and I believe they all participate in that. Uh, also, um, in addition to let's see, uh, on Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday? No, Monday night. I'm sorry, Monday night. Um, I traveled with some brethren from Eureka West Shore Lodge number 302 uh, and visited Mount Olivet Lodge number 704 in Lebanon. Uh, And you might say, why were the Mechanicsburg guys going to Lebanon? Well, one of the junior officers uh, in that line, Bobby Davis, and I know he's a fan of the show and a listener, um, we kind of adopted him last year during the shutdown. He joined us on our uh, Zoom toast calls nightly uh, and uh, had come to a couple of our meetings. And so 
a worship master sent out a text message saying, hey, let's go surprise Bobby tonight. And so six of us uh, traveled to Lebanon and popped in there and scared the poor guy to death. Uh, he was sweating bullets, but uh, he did a great job, as did the other officers up there, and a grand, beautiful lodge room and great hospitality by all of those uh, brothers up there. So that's about it, other than our, our trip last night. Yeah, How I about got, you? I didn't think I had anything going on, but now I'm looking at my calendar. <laughs> Let's see. You uh, belong to too many organizations not to have done something. Yeah, on Friday the 30th, I was in this building um, as uh, the new AMD Council here is only two years old. So when they had to do the installed sovereign master degree, they didn't didn't have enough. They only had one. Oops. So, um, so a bunch of us past sovereign masters from Junto Council came down and did the installations. Um, and since we were in a Masonic lodge, we installed our new sovereign master as well. Um, Monday, I saw Larry. The following Monday, I saw Larry and Carol at Tall Cedars in uh, York at the John Wright Restaurant. Beautiful day outside. And this past Saturday, I am now... Seth Anthony must have found out that I had $50 still in my checking account <laughs> um, because I am now a member of Aaron Council Night Masons. All right. And, uh, you know, if, if you're a York Wright Mason and this ever opportunity presents itself it is really a neat group to get into it's you know at least our chapters two meetings a year and it just kind of really retells the same story of the first three degrees um just more detail in some different ways and and uh really enjoyable um and uh you know i got to see a lot of masons from out of the area i like when i join some of these groups I don't. I see some of the same faces, but you know, I, I do get to meet Masons from further away, including Dutchy Doug was there. Oh, cool! So Dutchy Doug came down from hinterlands of State College and uh, got that degree too. Great. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, you're going to hear from our resident symbologist Michelle Snyder in a great interview. We'll be right back. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. For planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. And uh, we're back with Michelle Snyder. And Michelle, thank you for coming on the show again. I believe this is your third guest shot on our show. But more importantly for listeners, you, you've been doing a lot of contributing to our show for the past 
oh 22 or 26 episodes so we, we thank, thank you, for you so that. much tell yeah uh, tell tell us a little bit what's been happening with michelle well uh michelle's been very busy so um as much as i've you know before lockdowns i was uh, very uh involved in speaking about symbology to masons in, in person or uh on zoom i've done uh, spoken to Toronto and things. Uh, after lockdown, it sort of went away, but I didn't. We've um, we've been working very hard uh, on the Ensman Archive, which is where the symbologist got all her material to begin with. If I didn't have Bob Ensman's material, I wouldn't have any of this really cool stuff that I've been able to share. So we've continued to edit and um, compile and edit manuscripts, and we've continued to build our facility, and, and I've started a new book, which is the first one, I think, in a couple of years. So that will be Magic Uncovered, and uh, it's going to be a very, it's, it's not going to be a how-to, a grimoire, or a book of spells. This is going to be um, how magic came to be. How did a magic wand come to be? Why do we look into shiny things and, and called scrying and see the future? And how did all of these practices come about? And why are shapes like circles and hexagons and pentagons, why do they have magical qualities? So all of these things um, I, I will be talking about in, uh, in that book. So that is... Um, that is, it's about, I'd say, a third of the way done, so give me a few months. And then also I've been working on what I want to do for my doctorate, Whoa. which will be more a lot of emphasis on cosmology. Very cool. Excellent, excellent. So since I've been very busy. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, <laughs> tell us about Freya. Okay. Um, and Freya you, is... Go ahead, sorry. It's uh, FRIA is an, an acronym. It, st it stands for Foundation for Research of the Ensman Archive. And that was way too long, and it doesn't even fit on our checks or our letterheads or anything. So we call it FRIA, F-R-E-A, which is kind of uh, apropos since Freya is one that was uh, Bob's favorite goddess. She's the one whose sleigh is pulled by cats. And for some reason, she was his favorite. So FRIA is a very appropriate name for uh, the foundation that publishes his work. And, uh, and I've, we've been working with him since 1988. And for the longest time we worked with him, I, I, he helped me with my thesis and we published a couple of books for him. And then um, we decided that he decided that we should have the whole thing. So it didn't fit in my living room. And so we had half of it in a storage unit and half of it in my living room. And then we had people coming in to help us. And, and I didn't like them in my living room and upstairs to my bathroom and all of that. So we decided we needed to do a nonprofit. And we did that. And then the nonprofit purchased a piece of property. So that's where we've been. We've been here since August. Uh, this August will be two years. And it's um, almost not big enough. It isn't just paper that Freya has. I mean, the million and a half pages, literally, we had 100 milk crates. Each milk crate holds um, five reams of paper, so count the papers. So that was all of Bob's writing. And then there's hundreds and hundreds of computer files. So this is what, what you see in back of me here is some of it. Um, but we also have 
a storage room full of things that they collected from around the world and stuff through their life. Like we have his Navy uniform from when he was like, I don't know, 18. And, uh, you know, and, and, but we've got some, some geology uh, samples that he collected from all over the world. And he practiced, he was making gems. So we have uh, synthetic emeralds and all kinds of things that he did shells from everywhere. So all of that stuff is packed away until Freya can afford to build a museum. We will call it the Ensman Museum. So basically every day we come into the into the office and we either go through papers or stuff. <laughs> it's always we're always moving stuff. We just it's, got a we just uh, got just a call. Habitual. We just got a call from the uh Massachusetts uh, milk producers group <laughs> and they want to yeah. let you know that it's a five hundred dollar fine per milk crate. <laughs> <laughs> well sadly for them. When we when we absconded with all of them from Bob's basement because that's where he had them, uh, no one wanted them. The milk companies don't want them. Stores, we can't even. They said if you drop those crates off behind our store, we'll call the police. <laughs> well, yeah, funny. Yeah, they a, don't want their milk crates. A funny aside: in college, we started a rumor <laughs> that the uh, state police was going to come, and but if you had all the milk crates outside of your apartment or your dorm. There'd be no no questions asked. They'd just take them. So we got, I don't know, I think, I think we got like 300 milk crates that day. Just we, Everybody put them, dumb enough to put them out. We took them. Steal them from everybody? <laughs> yeah, we made a whole wall in our apartment that was like shelving. It was beautiful. College beautiful. Well, they're very strong. Yeah. They actually make very, uh, very good apartment furniture. Milk crates. Yeah, that could be your next book. If you're going to have a, an apartment and you've got lots of books, um, that's the way to do it because you don't even have to pack the books. You just pick up the milk crates and move them all. Ask me how I know this. <laughs> yeah, I used them as a uh, platform bed for my uh, for my mattress. So it was nice and breathable, not like well, putting it on plywood. Too. Yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us a that's little a bit idea. about. I never thought of that. For for our listeners, Michelle, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Bob Ensman. Uh, our listeners probably don't know a lot about him, so give us a background on him. Okay. Um, Dr. Ensman uh, worked with Dr. Goddard and Von Braun and Bussard before NASA. Uh, he was born in Peking, China, before there was electricity there, uh, south of Peking. His mother was a missionary there from, from Maine. She was a nurse. And she went there to uh, share Western medicine and learn Eastern medicine. And while she was there, Bob's father, who had been taken prisoner in the Brusilov Offensive and imprisoned in Siberia, he escaped. And he walked to China, uh, took trains and hitched. I don't know how he made it, but he made it to China. And they met when he was translating for the doctors and they had kids there. So Bob was born there. But in 1932, uh, Bob's mother decided that she was going to she was going to get out of the madhouse that Europe was becoming. And she brought them back to Maine. So that's the beginning of his life. And then, uh, you know, he, he has three doctorates and four master's degrees. So later he ends up working for, uh, he worked on the BMU system. Uh, we have radar because of him. Uh, he did geological work on every continent. His uh, first doctorate was in crystallography. Uh, if, let, me, let me back up here a little. If you think about it, Bob Ensman wanted us to go into the stars. He wanted to urbanize the solar system. He wanted us to explore the solar system. And he wanted us to undertake 
the, the the ultimate endeavor of humanity, which is go into space. And if you're going to create a ship, a starship in which people live, you have to know how ecology works. How does how does life get supported? He had to know everything about planet Earth. That's why he's got a, a medical doctorate. He's got a, a physics engineering. He he took he was a geologist. Because you need to know all of this. He understood the air. He understood the ocean. He understood biology. Because that way you can design a biosphere which will support life. And so that is that is everything that you that he studied. We have something that he wrote in our archive. It's incredible. It, it, there isn't a subject that you could bring up that I couldn't find at least a half a dozen papers written about, including the Templars. And I think there's more than that with them. But History is is one of his biggest things. So here he is, and he's he's uh, working with the. Uh, he actually was the space race before NASA. I think they put NASA in place to control him. I'm not sure, but he worked with uh, Goddard. Goddard passed him the grand design. He worked with von Braun, and they worked on the Saturn. And uh, because of Bob Ensman, we have a countdown system that's still used today on everything. He designed and invented that countdown system. And no, he doesn't even know how to use email or a computer, but Joanna said that wasn't necessary. He wrote it all out by hand and handed it to the engineers and then the programmers, and they had to make it work on the computer, which they really didn't have very many of. Joanna's brain is probably better than any computer. She worked on the first computers. She was at MIT at 16, so that'll give you an idea of the kind of brain she has. So these two people uh, have been involved in the space technology industry and the military industry for 80 years. Well, Bob has, she's, so, so hers would be 60 years. So how, how did they make they've that? they've done a lot of, how did they make that transition from, you know, brainy scientist to symbology? Um, because, um, well, do you remember when Voyager was being started? Voyager, we've got a couple of them out there. There was supposed to be a chain out of six or eight Voyagers, and the last one was supposed to be a, a manned flight, and he was supposed to be on it. Uh, they shut it down before that. But in 1988, uh, he called Jay, who was a presidential candidate primary man uh, campaign manager in Massachusetts, so he wanted to get in touch with the candidate, uh, Dr. Ensman, and he called us. And we've just been friends ever since. And I was fascinated with everything that he had. Now, the reason that um, the connection isn't that strange. He has uh, got more history. He knows more about prehistory than any, than any person alive now. Because he translated Ice Age inscriptions from 12,500 BC. It took him 40 years. He has thousands and thousands and thousands of prehistoric images. And I have a couple to show you. Uh, and so when he translated these, we found out things like, for example, the RX symbol is it's there. 12,500 BC, and it means medicine lady and her medicines. And it looks just like the RX. It's unmistakable. So then I got fascinated with this. I said, what, what else? And it turns out most of the symbols that we have go that far back. Tens of thousands of years, some of these symbols have been used. So it wasn't a stretch when I wanted to do my, um, my thesis for him to help me because he's the one who could help me trace the etymology of all of these symbols and all of the fairy tales and the folklore and things that we, that we worked with. So 
it's just a, it's it's a passion of his was uh, history and and the reason I think that Ice Age language was so important is because it's a language that is based on pictures and pictures are nouns and all language starts with nouns so if you're going to program an AI computer you have to program it to know what cardinals are cardinals are main images they are nouns so in an in the Ice Age if you see a drawing of a horse then it's about the horse and all of the lines and, and everything that are on that image are where to find it, when to find it, how to use it, what what to use what for, how do you process the mane, how do you process the fur, what, you know, how can you use the hoofs, how do you make glue, they did, they made glue and they, they waterproofed their houses with it. This, in order to understand Bob Ensman's um, connection between space and prehistory have to understand the megaliths which were observatories and he's got just volumes of studies and volumes of research and volumes and volumes of references that put together an unmistakable uh history of ob observatories and what do you observe with an observatory you observe the stars so it is his his opinion that we've been looking at the stars since prehistory and we've always wanted to go there and wondered what it would be like. This is a human drive. It is something that humanity needs to do. We need to do that just as much as we needed to cross the ocean or go west, young man, on when we hit this continent, it needs to be done. It's part of being human. And he believes that what Goddard believes, which is that until humanity does go out in the stars and colonize, we will not really reach our next phase of evolution. So it's all connected to him. It was very hard to get to get him to see separation. There isn't any. Uh, the language that you use in, in prehistory is one of nouns. So what happens when we go out in the stars and we come back and language has changed? Things don't change. A horse will still be a horse and a house will still be a house, but we won't have the words for that. Words are verbal symbols, just like letters are phonetic symbols. An SH is a symbol for sh. So a tree, the, the word, the sound I make, tree, is a symbol for what we know because we agree as a culture what that word means. In China, it would mean something completely different, if anything at all. So if we don't have written or verbal symbols that we can understand, we can still use images, pictures, symbols. And so that was very important to him in terms of the etymology of how language developed. He was always fascinated with that. I think he got bored easily. <laughs> We're going to take a uh, short break right now, and we'll be back with Michelle Snyder in just a little bit. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market. And a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse. Or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn 
will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Passmaster Dave. And we're back. We're back with symbologist uh, Michelle Snyder. Uh, Michelle, thanks for joining us tonight. And I understand you uh, brought some things for show and tell. I did. Well, thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk to you guys. And uh, Masons are full of seekers, and that is really what the world needs. So I did. I, I have some pictures of what Freya looks like, and I've also got a couple of uh, symbols that we can talk about and, uh, and a couple of book covers, but um, I will bring that up right now. Okay. Um, for those of you, our new logo for Freya. Freya is a nonprofit publishing company dedicated to preserving, protecting, and publishing the Ensman Archive and making it available. Um, we have Joanna Ensman, Doc E's wife, is the president. I'm the vice president. We have a board of directors, and uh, we're in Grafton, Massachusetts. So um, there's a picture of the breezeway. This is part of this house was built in 1730, so we're in a very historic location, uh, um, and it also needs never-ending work. And uh, it's got a couple of acres. This um, on the right, there's the gold tree. That is our ginkgo tree. And uh, in China and in some of these Asian countries where ginkgo trees grow naturally, they worship underneath the tree and they let the leaves fall down. When, it, when the leaves fall in the fall, when they come down in the autumn, it makes a, a, a golden carpet all over everything. It is extraordinary to have such a beautiful tree on the property. Uh, this is another uh, shot of the property. The, um, what you're looking at is on the left is the fence uh, that the borders the patio. And the building that you're looking at is where we house our archive. Uh, this is Bob Ensman. There are some pictures of him from the Navy and as he's growing older. And the last photo is the last one we actually have of him. Um, these are mostly from his passports. And, uh, and then this is the archive um, in the plastic boxes and in the milk crates. Remember what I told you, we had milk crates <laughs> under them. And so what we had in storage, we've now brought into the facility that you see behind me. Uh, and we've tried to separate it, uh, fiction and nonfiction, and the nonfiction sections we've tried to separate into history and science. Uh, because the, there's just too many, I mean, and there's math, and there's all kinds of math, there's all kinds of sciences, and there's, uh, and there's mostly prehistory, but he does have a timeline uh, and, the, and the resources that he was using to build that, that go from prehistory to modern history. Uh, this is the downstairs that used to be a two-car garage, and, and Jay was building these bookcases because we needed to house... Uh, the reference library, or what was left of Bob Ensman's reference library, there's about 1,500 books still left. People say to me, they used to say to me when I started speaking as the symbologist, well, what are his references? And I used, I used to laugh. I had to put a list on my website because you can't ask that. He's, he was an eidetic 
It means that he never forgets anything he looks at. He could have told you what book and what page if it was 40 years ago he looked at it. So he's read and probably written in all of these books. So his mind is a walking encyclopedia that can't be beat. This is the, uh, these are the book covers. This is our quarterly, the, the nonprofit puts out a quarterly um, nonfiction research journal, and that's the Endeavor. And that has everything from engineering to medicine to geology to cosmology in it. And then on the right, this was our COVID baby, the Ensman Chronicles. We realized while we were in here uh, looking at all of this stuff that Bob Ensman had written original sci-fi stories in the hundreds. And they all took place in the same universe, the Ensman universe. And so we have started a serial magazine, which has short stories and also serial stories in it, all written by him to try to help people understand what life with starships would be like, whether you're on a planet or in a colony or on the starship. And so they're all hard science stories. There's no, you know, force, no fantasy. It's all what could have happened on a starship with the engineering that he knew was plausible. And then the three books in the middle we had already published. These are the, the, the uh, cleaned up blueprints. The, the one on the left, I think it's your left, um, the, is, is a, a pulse ship. This is, looks like the Orion because it's, it was a, a Bussard's Orion on steroids. And this is a colony ship. It can't go as fast as his other ship, but it can hold about 10,000 families. So you take 30 to 40,000 people and you put them on this ship and they go to like the jewel box. This is, um, it's, a, it's a pulse ship. The next one in, that looks similar to it, that's a fusion propulsion ship. Uh, it works with fusion for the engines. And the one on the right, the thin one, that is what Joanna calls Bob's most elegant design. That is an Echo Lance, and it, its propulsion is beam technology. Now, we have beam weapons, and they could propel a starship. And there's a lot more to that, but it's, it, we, if you're interested, we, we can get you copies of the uh, Endeavor where we have introduced this. The book that we're working on right now called Reach for the Stars was written in 1984, and it was done to to introduce the Echo Lance, which is what this uh, beam propulsion ship is called, to the world. And it never got published. Um, now, the, the torch ship was peer-reviewed about 10 years ago by the British Interplanetary Society, and they found it viable. In other words, in 1980, when we could have built that ship, we could have gone. Wow. One of the nagging questions that we have at the archive is why. <clears throat> And we're putting the pieces together because Bob wrote all kinds of things, not just about academics. He wrote down what was going on. We have inside information from the man who has been in the space tech industry since before NASA existed to what was going on. And we hope to keep bringing those secrets out. This is a painting. Now, Don Davis uh, is a NASA painter. He's got a website. You can go look at his stuff. Um, he was painting with Bob Ensman before he became a NASA painter. And Tom Davis did the painting, but the data was supplied by Bob. In other words, the stars are in the right place. The ship is accurate. So 
this uh, circular rainbow that you see, this is a star bow. Now, in sci-fi movies, when they go warp speed or in, in Star Trek, they, they took what you might see on a highway when you're going really fast and stuff is streaking by you. But that isn't what happens because stars aren't physical, they're light. What happens when you approach the speed of light in a starship is that first you see what's called the Eye of Odin, which is the red spot in the middle, and then you see a star bow. And that is what you see the closer you get to the speed of light. And this painting, it has a lot more information, and all of these paintings have science information in it, but that's one I can share with you about this. Now, these two paintings, also done by Don Davis and Bob, the one on the left you can see is labeled. There's a globular cluster, and the gravitational lenses look like a heart in the middle of the two lower circles. The reason that that you see this is because of the lenses. And this is a stellar black hole. And then down on the left, you see jets from the Markarian ga galaxy. So this is astronomical information. And there's more, um, which we could, we could uh, get you information on. The one on the right, this is called the mysterious object. And I learned from Bob Ensman, have you ever broken open a geode and seen the crystals inside the rocks? Well, there are structures like that in space, but in space, sometimes they've been through such intense heat that their shells can be metallic, and yet their insides are crystalline worlds. So we don't know if that's what this is, uh, but on the lower left-hand part of that painting, you see the Starship Bridge, and on that Starship Bridge are the time existence and information existence theorem formulas, which Ensman and, uh, and uh, a guy they worked with at Raytheon uh, put together. So these are, are both Ensman and Ensman, in other words, Bob and Joanna theorems, mathematical equations. And he put them in that painting. This is, uh, then, then there's the symbologist, because he, as good as he is with space, he's that good with reading things. He was a cryptographer. He could speak 17 languages. Dead ones, live ones. He could read languages that are dead. So he helped me understand the beginnings of oral tradition stories and fairy tales, some of which I have shared on Unlocking Symbols. And he, he shared with me how to trace back the evolution of a symbol and what these would mean. And so I, these are two books, Revision and Hidden in Plain Sight, which have been very popular. Uh, and... Um, they're written differently, but they're both about what symbols mean and how to read them. So, speaking of symbols, uh, what we have here is an image you guys probably recognize is the double-headed eagle. And then we have a double-headed horse, and we have Janus, and we have an Egyptian hieroglyph, and we have a, 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 herald, a heraldic double-headed eagle, and then my painting of the tree of life. Now, what do all these things have in common? Well, some of them are obvious. There's the, the double-headed eagle. One is look, looking one way, and the other is looking the other way, just like with Janus and all these others, including the eyes on my tree. What this says is, yesterday and tomorrow. It's past and future. So you'd have a symbol of royalty and power, and it's royalty and power in the past and in the future. 
Now, some of them, you know, the eagle is on a sword. The sword symbolizes the present today because in between the, the head that's looking back and the head that's looking forward, that's now. And the Egyptians, they used the red solar disk between the two lions to represent now. And I have the three eyes looking back, the three eyes looking forward, and the one eye looking now. Now, Janus is an interesting story because that's from him we get our expression two-faced, what it means to be two-faced. But in reality, he wasn't two-faced. Janus could see into the future and into the past indefinitely. If you know what's coming and what has been, that is an enormous amount of power. He was the keeper of the gates. Dawn had to, had to pass by his watchful eye before she could come in. Nobody could come or go without Janus's permission, but it is past and future. And so that's the simple meaning of the double-headed eagle and all of these uh, symbols that you see where one is looking back and one is looking forward. Now, this one is interesting. Um, in the middle, this circle, circle, this photograph was taken at Altamira Cave, which is a cave dated to about 16,500 BC. This symbol was painted on the cave wall, and it has animals going around it, which are hard to make out. There's a, you can see the bison, and it's a, it's a painting that shows when the animals are going to come and go. So it's a migration pattern, seasonal. So this one in the center is blown up from what's inside the circle. And if you look in the center, you can see the upside down and right side up V. Now on the top row on the left, you have a symbol from 80,000 BC. It's a symbol for winter solstice, sunrise and sunset. So at the top of the V would be the viewer. And that means that Looking down to your left and right is where the sun would rise and set at winter solstice. The next one, is, it's the other way around. It's summer solstice. It's, uh, it's the summer solstice. So you'd be looking from the bottom up because the sun is higher in the sky on the horizon. So that represents summer solstice, sunrise and sunset. And when you overlap them, you get a hexagon. Now, the hexagram has a lot of meanings now, like the balancing of opposites. And if you can understand where it came from, the winter and summer solstice uh, symbols, then you can understand why it is. It means that, and that's what come. That's what develops from the sixteen thousand five hundred BC painting. Now, on the bottom is a, a series that I put together. You could teach a child very easily where the sun is at on, on the horizon. And it starts off low at winter solstice, then it goes to the equinox, and then it's up high at summer solstice, then it goes back to the equinox, and then it comes back around and it rises and sets low for winter equinox again. And the thing I found fascinating is that Bob Ensman translated these, uh, he helped me with the tarot images, and this tarot image is from the summer solstice, sunrise and sunset, 16,000-year-old uh, image. If you can take a look at it, it looks exactly like it. 
And so if we can take tarot images even and give them more depth of meaning by understanding what it was that was symbolized with these images. That's just quick. Um, Freya is, uh, we're really excited to get our new web website for now. If you want to, uh, if you want to go leave your, your email for us, you can go to freafoundation.space. And there's a place there where you can leave your email and I can let you know when new, new site is ready. I can let you know, I'm going to be writing a newsletter, which will go out every month if you'd like to receive the newsletter from the symbologists about Freya and about symbology. Then you can leave your uh, email on the landing page there and, you'll, and, you, and we'll tell you when our new website is ready. Uh, if you want to write an email at freeafoundation at gmail.com, you can always write the symbologist there with questions. We have an Ensman Starship Facebook page. Now, the Ensman Archive is a national treasure. Ensman wanted us to reach for the stars, and that's what we need to do. And it is it does not negate understanding our history, where we came from, helps us understand who we are, and it gives us a clearer picture of how to get where we can go. And uh, Freya invites seekers and supporters. We, we love donations. They're tax deductible. We are a 501c3. But the symbologist owes everything to Dr. Ensman because uh, the information that I share is an, is, is an extension of all of what he taught me and what I was able to find because of what he taught me. And it's, it's just never-ending. Symbols are everywhere. As I was explaining, the words we speak are verbal symbols. For things, a symbology is is a is a, a system of communication which can be images or language or alphabets and uh, and even your alphabet and numbers. Science has symbols. Your computer has symbols. We wouldn't know how to navigate without the symbols on a map. So symbology is not uh, it's it's not a specialized thing. It's not something that's unusual. They're everywhere. As a matter of fact, I think what's unusual is that we actually open our eyes and see it because we just have so much of it around us all the time. Really looking at something, really looking at it is how you can see what's there. Do you, do you count the patterns? Like how many stars are in our Freya logo? Uh, you know, what colors are there? The colors that are in our Freya logo are the ones that are ejected out of his starships. They're deliberate. And, um, and so that's, that's basically uh, Freya and the symbologist who are now inseparable. Well, Michelle, <laughs> as usual, um, I think our heads are all about to explode here trying to take all of this in because... It's a good thing Jack's not here. Yeah, I was going to say... He'd be melting. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's always incredible when you when you're with us because you give us so much to look at, and our the people that are going to appreciate this so much are our patreons, uh, who are going to get to see some of the the uh, pictures that you shared tonight, uh, and as always, you know you're you're a, you're a hit of this show, and uh, we we always welcome you to be a part of it because uh, uh, so keep, so keep sending in those uh, uh, segments that you do and keep up the great work that you do and. Um, we we just love having you on the show. And Tim 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 is uh, being vague because he forgot to bring the charger for his laptop, <laughs> and 
<laughs> he's like sweating it out because you're in the middle of your explanation and the, we're down to like 3% on his laptop. So at any point, you could just totally get cut off and we wanted to make sure <laughs> you didn't think well, we hung up on you. I appreciate being here with you guys. It's always fun. Symbology is, I mean, I taught art for 40 years. Pictures are how I think. It's how I dream. And, and I love sharing the, you know, what I see in them. And I think it really helps people uh, see everything around them in a better way and more completely and be more aware. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity that you give me to share. And um, I hope you guys have a great night. And maybe now there'll be more people who want to see pictures and they'll join your special group of people who can see pictures. Hey, thank you so much. And uh, I promise we'll have you back when we have electricity. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Never. I'm always here. Right. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Michelle. Michelle. Good night. Good night. As far back as the mid-1800s, records exist describing the pre-meaning tradition of brethren smoking cigars during and after gatherings. To this day, the practice of smoking cigars remains very much alive in many lodges. This custom is considered a time for brethren to relax, exchange ideas, and enjoy the simplicity and fellowship that is the very essence of our brotherhood. This is what Hireman Solomon Cigars is all about. Our starting principles are to bring Masonic brethren together in the harmony of a good cigar. Pull up a chair, sit back, light up any of our premium cigars, and enjoy the history. Hireman Solomon Cigars can be found at fine cigar retailers. For a complete list, visit HiremanSolomonCigars.com or check them out on social media to find out when they'll be at a live event near you. Hireman Solomon Cigars is pleased to be the official cigar of the Masonic Light Podcast. And we're back. Are your heads successfully blown? Wow, mine is. Anytime I listen to Michelle, I just walk away, just my brain hurting. So basically, Larry was in charge of finding the guest this week, and... I know if I ever try to think about this too much, um, I, it stresses me out. So I just tried to let let the system play out. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what Michelle was going to talk about. And she introduced me to a man that is like the Da Vinci of our time. Yes. What is that all about? How do we yeah. not know about this guy? I have. How is he not in a history book somewhere? I mean, he seems to have been into everything. Yeah. He just passed away too. Oh, what, 104? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Michelle, I love you. Stop writing that book and write a uh, biography of Mr. Ensman and yeah. get it or get a screenplay. Because <laughs> this guy sounds like he'd be an amazing, you know, movie story. Absolutely. And then you could fund your project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, another great episode is. Uh, Slowly winding its way down. So let's see what's going on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, uh, Josh, how about you? Go first. Honestly, I don't have anything coming up in the next few weeks other than doing the normal behind-the-scenes. Making this show listen. Snapping fingers. <laughs> okay. Larry, how about you? Uh, other than Goose and Gridiron, not a whole lot. Uh, I think the end of the month we have another Tall Cedars, but... 
by the time we do our next show, I'll have that. Okay. That's right. it. Pete, you found your calendar? I, I did. And <laughs> this week, as many Masonic things as I have, I actually have more doctor's appointments than Masonic events. <laughs> um, and they're both just as much fun. Uh, let's see. For this Friday, I am golfing in the Valley of Reading uh, Golf Tournament. Uh, benefits the dyslexia centers and uh, so my Ralph Bacon Poppy from uh, Beersheba Grotto is going to be in my cart with me but he doesn't golf so I guess I get to hit the ball twice and Ralph is just going to be making drinks the whole day he's making drinks and he's going to be the DJ because we're having a boom box in the back so that'll be fun <laughs> and annoying for the real golfers um <laughs> Saturday, um, I'll be down in Elkton, Maryland with a uh, unaffiliated event, unaffiliated body that happens to all be Masons. Um, and let's see, next week is Goodwin Council. So, uh, got a lot going on. Great. All right. Well, uh, while we're putting this show together on Friday, you've already missed it. If you missed it, was the uh, Valley of Harrisburg, um, a stated meeting of the... Uh, various bodies in the Valley of Harrisburg. That's this Friday. Um, on next week, we have, let's see, don't forget if you're in Pennsylvania, uh, Tuesday's primary election day. That's not Masonic, but it's a good thing to go do. Next Saturday. And everybody, even third-party people like me, get to vote because there's ballot That's questions. right. There's a ballot question. So make sure if you're an independent or unaffiliated or whatever your registration is, you get to vote. So please do. Uh, Saturday the 22nd uh, will be, I have done here, Reunion Cigar. I'm trying to quickly look and see. Is that the Harrisburg Cigar thing in the Reunion? Uh, yeah, I believe it. Is it? It is. Uh, the Valley of Harrisburg is uh, hosting a virtual reunion, and uh, we will have a cigar lodge as part of that. So come on up. Uh, we'll be there, as will the Har Hiram and Solomon folks. And so uh, come and see us. We look forward to seeing you all. Um, and when's our uh, Shrewsbury Car Show? Shrewsbury Car Show is actually this coming weekend, I think, isn't it? No, no. It's 15th? the weekend in June when That's I'm June. in, That's in right. Delaware. That's so, right. I don't yeah. have it written on my calendar. I've got it on the other calendar. But all right. We'll, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Show. Actually, right here. It's Saturday, June the 12th. Saturday, June 12th. So, all right. Well, we fumbled around this show long enough. So uh, thanks for listening. And uh Josh, cue the chickens, and Larry, get us out of here. <clears throat> Special thanks to Everett Lodge 665 for making our broadcast studio possible. Yay. And we are actually back in the studio. Man, is this fantastic. Yay. Thanks to Josh Lamberton, producer and director, who continues to make the show listenable. And after tonight... It's going to be a real doozy to make it listenable. <laughs> Thanks to Jack Harley, our news director, Tim Dedman, our marketing director, and to our Masonic-like contributors, Michelle Snyder and Doug Maddenford. And I have nothing else to say in closing the show, so thanks for listening. This is Larry Maris. This is Tim. This is Josh. <laughs> and that's Pete. And that's Pete. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Good show, guys. I, got a good, I actually got a really good picture of Larry. It's so rare. <laughs>